Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Aleph Beta Quarantined, your favorite podcast for keeping you comfortable during these trying and interesting times. I am Imu Shalev. And I am Rabbi David Foreman. How are you doing today, Rabbi Foreman? I am doing swimmingly. Um, well, I wouldn't say swimmingly. I'm doing, let me see, I don't know. Truth is, answering a question like, how are you doing today, is usually such a simple thing to do. Today is not so simple. I'm doing fair to middling with hopefully with an upswing and talking to you. Yeah, I feel the same way. Where are you now, Rabbi Foreman? I know last we spoke to you, we were trying to get you home from Israel. We were uh, still trying to get home from Israel. We are booked now on a flight for this coming Saturday night. And I have to say there's a bit of drama around that in terms of whether the flight will fly. It's obviously not really in my control, but it feels like every hour something unexpected happens. And for all I know, somehow, the travel link between Israel and, and the U.S. will get interrupted. But for now, it looks like it's happening, and hopefully we'll be able to get on that flight. Yeah. I'm actually kind of glad you did not go out this past weekend, since the airports seem chaotic now. I'm hearing that there are eight-hour lines uh, before people can get on their flights, and it doesn't feel yeah. like a, a great place to spend a lot of time right now. The real truth is, is that we actually, believe it or not, did have seats on a flight last night, and we elected not to take those seats and pay more money to go on Saturday night. And the reason was we were looking at the headlines, the major newspapers that were talking about chaos at the airports. It seems like the, a policy that was intended to determine whether people were sick coming into the United States kind of backfired. And what you instead had was huge halls of thousands of people kind of snaking around in close contact with each other. And it seemed like a very dangerous kind of thing to get yourself into. It was really, I have to tell you, I don't know if I'm the greatest decision maker in the best of times, but it was a real nail biter because, it, you know, I'm looking at these headlines and we actually had someone who was passing through Newark Airport, the airport we were going to, and we called her and she was like, no, just sailing through. And I'm like, I don't know, but the Washington Post says you're not sailing through. You're like standing <laughs> in a six-hour line. So I'm telling you, I'm sailing through. And the question is, I don't know, someone's got their facts wrong. Or maybe it was so chaotic that sometimes it, you sail through and sometimes you get hit with a line. It depends on the flight. But it just seemed too uncertain for us. So we're hoping things will calm down a little bit. But it's just a hope to be able to really project anything into the future feels like a crystal ball, but it's the decision we made, and hopefully we're on a flight on Saturday night. Uh, I hope that, that you guys are safe, no matter what happens, that we make the, the best decisions for us. Thank you. Things have really changed uh, since the last time we spoke. We sat down, I think, to talk on Thursday. The big story on Thursday was that in humble old Teaneck, the rabbis got together to close shuls and, and schools, and the days that follow, we're now recording this on Monday morning, Eastern time. So much of the rest of the tri-state area, New York, has caught up, but also so much of the world. Schools are closed, really, in, in so many places around the U.S. and in Israel. Public gatherings have been reduced tremendously, under 100, in some cases under 10. A lot of extreme social distancing, self-quarantining going on. It seems like every single day, things get more and more extreme. We're living in unprecedented times, right, Foreman? Yeah, we are. And I think one of the, I don't know, the challenge, at least for me in a time like that, is it feels like, you know, you catch your breath and it's like, oh my gosh, this is so foreign. I've got to steel myself to adjust to this new normal, only to find that tomorrow is another new normal that you never expected. And beyond that is another new normal. 
I'm here in Israel, and Israel's first move was to set restrictions on gatherings of 5,000 people or more. And Emu, that seems comical now, does it not? (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy. But that was like their draconian move, 5,000 people or more. Then they reduced that to 2,000 and then 1,000, right? And then came this big announcement from the prime minister's office that it's down to 100, right? And over Shabbos, you couldn't have a minion that it was over 100 people. Prime minister gets on Saturday night, and it's like we're down to 10. And it just feels to me like, I don't know, psychologically for me, that it's so disorienting. And there's this attempt to hold on, I think, psychologically to the last vestiges of the present and say, okay, this is so alien, right? But this is the way it is now. And let me just adjust to this. But even there, your mind is tricking you because you know that tomorrow is going to be a different this, right? Even in the prime minister's last talk over here, it was like, well, we don't really know what we're doing with public transportation yet. Bang, 24 hours later, no buses, no trains, no nothing. And in Israel, that's a big deal because people don't have a car. It's a real shutdown of society. It actually recalls for me, Imu, a Gemara that you and I worked on going way, way back. One of our first videos that we ever did in Alafeta land was the one mm-hmm. we did on Yavna. I'm wondering if you remember that all the way back I do. six, seven years ago. We actually remastered it this past year. So in many of our subscribers' uh, eyes and ears, it's fresh. We did. As a matter of fact, I don't know if we actually kept this part in in the new remastered version or not but at least in in the old version of it uh, which you can't see anymore but i'll just orally tell you about it and you know if you want to check it out in alapeda you can alapeda actually is free to people who are affected by quarantine so feel free to just log on and check it out but this is a beautiful video which we did on the world changing in a different kind of way the world changing after the destruction of the first temple and an attempt by the people of the time to adjust to a new normal. And one of the stories that we had there in that first video was the story as retold in Masechta Gitin of a noble woman by the name of Marta Bat Baitus. And I'm telling you, Imu, that as I just like walk down the streets or look from my quarantined hotel room out on the more and more deserting streets, I just feel like the words of Marta Bat Baitus are kind of ringing in my ear as she struggled to adjust to a new normal always trying to hang on to a present tense that was too fleeting. And the story is told where Marta Batbaitus, then it was times of hunger. Thank God it doesn't look like that's what we're facing, both in Israel and at least in the United States, where you and I are. Authorities have been pretty resolute that the food supply is pretty strong and unthreatened. No need to hoard. But I will say that then, at the times of the First Temple, and it's the destruction and the siege and the hunger. So Marta Batbaitis sends out her maidservant to go fetch some groceries from the local store, and she's looking for flour, but she's not looking for any old flour. She wants to make the best, most refined kind of bread that she's used to, white bread, and she sends her maidservant for white flour, and servant comes back from the store, and it's like, sorry, ma'am, but they're all out of white flour. All they got left is whole wheat flour. Right, which back in the day wasn't as good. So Marta Batbaitis goes, uh, all right, so go get the whole wheat flour. And the lady comes back from the store again and says, sorry, they just sold out of the whole wheat flour. All they got left is oats. And Marta Batbaitis wasn't crazy about oat bread, but she said, like, if it's just oats, so go get the oats. 
and Bhaktivedanta's servant comes back and sorry, there's no more oats, but there's like barley, like leftover barley. All right, get the leftover barley. By the time she gets there's no leftover barley. And to me, that story is not just a story about how bad the seed was, right? There's a different way to tell that story. That story was a story about Bhaktivedanta. It wasn't really a story about the seed. It's told about a, a noble woman, one of the richest women in the city. Yeah, that's right. And to me, and it's something which I never really realized, like, I always thought, like, the main point of the story was the end, where she eats this fig and is poisoned and she dies. And But it feels to me like that run-up, this part of the story, is so vivid in my mind now, because it's that attempt of people who almost take luxury for granted, that as it's slipping away, it's like, okay, so this is the new normal. Okay, and you get your mind around, I can handle this. But it's a fundamentally reactive way of approaching a crisis. And it feels to me like that's not the way to approach a crisis almost. You can't just be reactive because by the time you react, the thing you're reacting to isn't there. And it's almost like you've got to sort of psychologically be proactive and think like the things that I'm now taking for granted Right. To some extent, I've really got to enter this state where I can let go of even the things that I now feel are still here. Right. It's a very powerful story. I think it's very resonant because we are all, you know, to some extent trying to hold on to some semblance of normalcy. And, and, you know, we've all gone through the denial and the, you know, this this is overblown. It's just going to be a week. It's just going to be two weeks. Right. Nobody wants to admit this could be a month, two months. And we're holding on to the past and we're trying to figure out what parts of our lives can continue to run as normal you know i appreciate the kick in the pants i appreciate the confrontation to some extent i feel very lucky in my life I have a lot of privilege and now i think that that message of, of confronting what does the future look like what is a an appropriate response in the present uh feels like it you know i'm struggling here because I don't think my my mind wants to go to a place where I'm letting go of the past, right? It's a very yeah. it's a very painful it's story. It's a scary thing. It's a it's a horrifying story, right? Because the way you confront crisis is by like you think like you're doing the best you can if you're just like okay, this is the new normal. But this is the new normal is sort of deceiving. And I think it sort of gets back to this famous notion of distinguishing between that which you can control, that which you can't control. I think, you know, I don't know if we've brought this up in, in various Alapeda videos. I kind of think that we might have in issues of faith, right? Things that you always have to balance, right? One of the things that you always have to balance is faith, which is fundamentally, I'm not doing anything. I'm just placing myself in, in God's hands. And what we typically called hishtadlut, right? That which I'm going to do, that which I'm going to be active in doing. And there's always this balance between how active should I be? And how sort of passive almost just I'm going to be with God and place myself into his hands and, and that's what I should do. And life is a constant tension between these two forces. And thinking of that, one of the things which comes to mind is a very powerful page I remember years ago when I read uh, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah, And uh, one of the things he talks about there is that he calls it the circle of concern and the circle of control. And the way Covey talks about it is that if you imagine two circles that are kind of concentric, you can label one the circle of control and one the circle of concern. Now, the circle of concern is always larger than your circle of control. That's just the way it is. I'm always concerned about many, many more things that I can control. Now, in moments of crisis, like the one we're going through, 
Our circle of concern is vastly larger than our circle of control. We can control so little, it feels like, and our circle of concern is so great, right? And now the question is, like, what do we do with that disparity? How do we even cope? I'm concerned about so much that I can't control. So my personal thing, which I was chatting with my wife about this morning, and it was like, okay, like, here's how I'm coping with this vast gap between the circle of concern and the circle of control. I'm binge reading news sites, right? And what am I trying to do? If, if only I can aggregate all of this information, that I can somehow use my mind to see the patterns and figure out the thing that I need to know or catch the article that's going to be the, the hidden key to understanding how I should act in all of this. And I'm like literally addicted, having to pull myself away from that. And it's all of this fruitless attempt at some level to try to control what you can't control. Now, some of it is useful. Like, yes, there's a certain amount of basic understanding that you have to have of what's going on. But then there's this creeping kind of, no, I'm just trying to control. I'm just trying to control. And I'm just trying to control. And so it just feels to me that this notion of what I can do and what I can't do is very powerful. And one of the really salient points that Covey makes when he talks about how to deal with circle of concern versus circle of control is he very, very strongly admonishes his readers to focus as much as possible on their actual circle of control. So that which you do has to be focused on that small circle of circle of control and the role for faith, ultimately, at least this is my gloss on Covey. Covey doesn't really talk about it in terms of faith. But I think if you really think about what faith means in this world, what does faith really mean? Faith means a declaration that, yes, that is beyond my control. The declaration that there is a circle of concern, it's very large, it's very scary, I am concerned about it, I can't control it. And what allows me, Emu, to be able to pull in and focus my actions where they need to be in my circle of control, the things that I can actually do, right? What can I actually do? But to me, what faith is, is like, there's two possibilities, right? It's like if it's all blind chance, if there's no God out there, right? Or God doesn't care, and that's the world we live in. It's very, very hard to stay within your circle of control. Because how do I live in a world where my life, it's just random, right? It's, there's the cold, hard fates of blind chance, and that's it. And there's no God, and there's no one concerned, and there's no one upstairs, and it doesn't matter. And now I'm, I'm struggling against the chaos, and that's all there is. It's very hard to stay within your circle of control. What Covey says is that if you make that mistake, if you focus your actions and your circle of concern on things that you can't control, if you run around reading all the news and getting the third opinion and the fifth opinion and the seventh opinion, and you dissipate your energy and your circle of actual control shrinks and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. What faith does, it allows you to say, look, there is this circle of concern. I don't have control over it. But it's not controlled just by what it seems like it's controlled of. It's not just the mathematics. It's not just blind chance. There is a God in heaven, right? There's a loving God in heaven. And somehow the loving God in heaven, in ways I can't understand, but my fate is in his hands. And therefore, take a deep breath. It may not go the way you want it to go. It may not. But the hands that this is in is not just the hands of blind chance. It's in the hands of, of a God that I don't understand. 
but that loves humanity and loves me anyway. That's a really hard time to wrap your mind around in times where if you just look at the math, it feels like there's just blind chance out there. But if we can do that, one of the things it gives us is the ability to be able to say, and what I'm going to focus on isn't what I can control. And then ask yourself, what is that? I'll just leave my little soliloquy with you here, Emu, and in just the following thought, you know, my sister-in-law sent out this little infographic to me. It asked a very, very poignant question. In 75 years, how do you want your kids to remember this moment in time? The virus crisis of 2020. It's like, oh, I remember the virus crisis of 2020. Well, there's different ways that your old and gray grandchild or child might remember the virus of 2020 75 years from now, right? My mom was stressed out. All she did was consult the news sites. I could never get her attention. She was always washing her hands. She was always screaming at us. And we were bouncing off the walls. And we hated every second of it. And it felt like solitary confinement. Or, Emu, you know, when you and I were talking about it, yesterday you mentioned it was the beginning of a new normal for you. And I think what you did was, frankly, inspiring to me, right? You said, like, this was the time I spent the most time with my kids and I don't know how long. And there was this moment we all went out on the lawn and we watched the sunset together and we sang songs. And there's the ability to just let go and maybe watch that movie with your kids, let them stay up at night, build a huge fort, join them in that. And to me, Emo, I wonder if one of the things we can talk about a little bit is the challenge that faces families in making that transition. It's hard I remember when I was a kid, when I was about 11 years old, I read this book about the capture of the U-505, a German sub. And in the book, the writer, who was a commander of an aircraft carrier in World War II, talked about what life on a submarine is really like. 60 people in this little tiny metal tube for a month underneath the ocean. And the skill that it takes to live well with people that are really under lockdown, it's not an easy thing. It's not a natural thing, but it can be something that 75 years from now your kids look back it's a circle of control thing there is a kind of control there is a way to make it as wonderful as possibly can in all the pain and in all of the scariness a little island of sanity there's a way to do it and i'm, I'm wondering if i don't know i'd love to in the days and weeks ahead to be able to discuss with you you know what those challenges are like and how that can mm -hmm. be done as best as we can. But it feels to me like mm -hmm. that's something we can do in our circle of control. Yeah. I love that you went to Covey. And I, I think that uh, the way you married Covey with faith is really, really resonant for me. What I'm processing in what you said is sort of a paradox that once you name it, I think can be dealt with. Because, you know, we're all facing that surge of adrenaline that says you do need to get your act together, right? You've got to make sure that your kids have something to do every day. You've got to make sure that you stock your pantry with enough food to last through quarantine. You need to react to the fact that Pesach is going to come and you got to make sure that that's going to be okay. And you got to make sure that your jobs are stable and you're going to figure out how to continue to make money and to, to pay the mortgage. All those things are true. And on the other hand, as you mentioned, there's so much that's out of your control and that demands surrender, right? Like faith to a large extent, demands surrender. So on the one hand, my veins are coursing with adrenaline that tell me, take control, gird your loins, and let's actually take care of what we need to take care of. On the other hand, there's this other energy that says, completely surrender, just surrender, because you cannot control past this boundary, right? At a certain point, you will have to have faith 
in a loving God that says, you know, this will be okay and the world is playing out exactly as it should. And I think that simply naming the paradox, as you did, is helpful to know, okay, this rush of adrenaline is useful here, but not there. And surrender and faith is actually useful there and not here, right? So knowing that, I think, is, is really important. I think we should all forgive ourselves a little bit because these are trying moments. And I think you put your finger on one of the things that's so trying about them from a spiritual standpoint is this incredible tug of war, which is always there. Throughout life, we live with this tug of war. But in times of crisis, the tug of war becomes far more pronounced between the adrenaline rush of I must do X and the surrender to this huge circle of concern that I really just can't control. And you absolutely have to do both and both become imperative. In daily life, you know, you can eke by. You know what I mean? In times that are more mundane, I'm not the biggest balamuna, I'm not the biggest faith guy. All right, I'm not. I go about my routine. I daven and shul. I'm an actuary. I do my thing. Or conversely, I'm not the biggest adrenaline guy. I'm laid back, but I've got my job. So I'm not the most ambitious guy in the world, right? But this simultaneously calls upon you this incredible I must do, right? If I've got my elderly mom home who can't get out, I must get her groceries. It's not like an optional thing, right? And there's stuff that I must do. I must figure out if I'm no longer working. Me and my wife are going to have to figure out what do we do and confront that scariness and think you know, rationally. How can I begin to build something? And those are things that demand action. And yet with all of that, there's this partner element of that which I can't control. And so it's hard to balance that. Well, I think what's tough about those times of crisis is that you actually have to display both energies at the same time. And that's the tightrope, which is tough. But to be able to walk it, there is something exhilarating about it. I remember my conversation with you last night when I was obsessing over my decision. You know, should I leave? Should I go? Should I take the chance of walking into those crowded halls in Newark? I don't know. I could be stuck here for 18 months. I could, right? And I said to you, like, you know, I just don't have a crystal ball. I wish I did. I don't even know what the right decision is here. And you said, get yourself out of the purgatory of the decision-making process. You made a decision. And now enter that little place where you can coast and you could say, the decision was made. And now just accept that that's out of your control. That's a decision that was made. Now coast with that. This is a time for you to pull back and not do anything and just live with the reality of that decision and be able to take some joy in the situation you're in. And I thought that was great advice. So thank, Very you. Wise. thank you for that. You are wiser than your years, <laughs> than your years, a young Yoda now and then. No, it, it was painful to hear you agonize over the decision because I know you've been tossing it back and forth for a few days. And at a certain point, you had made the decision, and I heard you kicking yourself over whether you had made the wrong one. And it was easy for me to see, because I wasn't in it. You were torturing yourself over whether you had made the right decision. And at this point, the decision had been made. It's time time to move on. Yeah, well, I, I thank you so much, Rabbi Foreman, for sharing, sharing that idea. I think that that will be really helpful to me, or at least I hope it will be really helpful to me and to our listeners. I do think finding the avenue to tap into faith and to surrender quite a bit to God and to the one that runs this universe and to recognize in the face of crisis that we're actually, we're smaller than we think, and that's okay. And that's part of life and part of existence is a spiritually, a very calming idea. So thank you very much for that. 
Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk today, Rabbi Foreman. And thank you all very much for listening. As a reminder, Aleph Beta's resources are free to anyone in quarantine or practicing extreme social distancing. I should add that when we made that offer, it was really to the Westchester and SAR community, and now it seems like we're making that offer to the rest of the world, which is wonderful. Aleph Beta is here to really support everybody with Torah resources and more resources during this time. We are a nonprofit. We are trying to make these resources available to you. Typically, Purim and Pesach time is a time where we get a lot of paid subscribers. So because we are doing something different this year and really making Aleph Beta resources free, if you can consider, if you're not yet a member, the membership to Aleph Beta is what allows us to function daily. So please consider alephbeta.org becoming a member. And if now is not a good time for you and your family, please don't think twice of it. You can help us by making sure to like this podcast, rate this podcast, and share it with your friends. And I hope that we become a useful resource for you during this time period. Thank you all so much for joining, and we'll see you soon.